1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. What I want to do this morning is I want to read one verse of Scripture. And then what I want to do is give a brief introduction. Then I want to take us back before 1 Samuel 7 to show you how we got to this. And then we'll, we'll move through part of this chapter. So I'll read one verse. We'll go back through it. I'll, I'll trust that the Holy Spirit will, will help you to hold on to this word today. Here's what the one verse says. This will be on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone. He set it up between Mizpah and Sheen. And he called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Literally, Ebenezer means stone of help. That's what I want to talk about today. That's the title of our message today. Ebenezer, stone of help. I think each of us, if we're aware of God's abundant grace all around us, I think probably each of us could stand here today and testify that the Lord has been our help throughout our, all of our Christian journey, every step of the way. From the moment we said, yes, Jesus, and we came into his fold, he has been our help. If you'll pull out your memory today, you can look at moments, season, epochs in your life when you needed God's help. And he was right there to help you. He never lets his kids down. Amen. You know, it might have been the Lord stepping up in your life and meeting some desperate needs. It may be some specific prayer that you prayed a long time and God answered that prayer need. It may be the Lord helped you with some overcoming some impossible situation in your life. Maybe it was a sin and you brought that sin to God and you confessed it and he forgave your sin. But not only did he forgive your sin, but he caused you to overcome that sin and he broke the domination of sin over your life. Maybe it was some healing. Maybe he healed your wounded soul. Maybe he healed your sick body, which we believe that our God is a healer. Maybe it was a situation that God turned around, but you look through your journey and you realize the Lord has been my help. He's been my Ebenezer. The psalmist said this, God is our, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Moses said this, he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. In other words, in every generation, when God's people called on him, he was a help. He was a refuge to them. We see it all through scripture. Paul, Paul was reminded the, the Corinthians of how God helped him. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about the trouble we went through in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we even despaired of life. We had the sentence of death in us that we should not trust in ourselves, but God had raised the dead. We were, we were so far gone. This situation was so far gone, we thought we were dead. And then he said this in verse 10, who delivered us 
Notice this, who delivered us from so great a death, who does deliver us and whom we trust, he will also, he will still yet deliver us. He delivered us, he's delivering us, and if if we come into a problem again and need some help, he's going to deliver us again. I mean, you know, the Lord's been our help here at Trinity Life Church. In this planning of the new worship facility on this property, the Lord has helped us. He's helped us every step of the way. We've watched the Lord show up exactly when we needed him to show up. He showed up. For, for well over a decade, we couldn't sell the downtown property. And then all of a sudden, when we needed him to sell it, boom, he sold it. When we had to scrap the original plans and had to get a new plan and didn't know what to do, I prayed a prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. And guess what? The Lord gave us new plans. And the Lord gave us a new builder. And then the monies have come in in strange and odd ways. People in the church, people outside the church, people with no connection to the church. Money's come in right at the right time. And here's the interesting thing. When we began this journey, we did not have every step of the way mapped out. We did not have every step mapped out. What we had is a burden. And we followed that burden. And the Lord has watched over us. You know why? Because he knows the way. We decided, Lord, we don't know every step of the way, but we know the first step. And that's to keep our eyes on you. And you know the whole way. So we're just going to watch you, Father. And the Lord has been our help. Here's something we need to remember and realize that when we walk by faith, the Lord very rarely gives us a map of the whole picture from beginning to end. What normally he gives you is one word. Like Abraham, he said, Abraham, go. That was the word. Go to a land I'll show you. That was it. Go. And he got a burden to go in a certain direction, and he followed that direction, and that's exactly what we have done. We felt like this is what the Lord wanted us to do, and we just took the first step. And then we took the second step, and the Lord has never let us down. The Lord's our Ebenezer. Now, to understand the verse I read you out of 1 Samuel 7, verse 12, and the chapter that I'm going to go back to and show you what's happening. We'll go back and we'll fill in. I'll show you what's happening there. But I have to go back first because I have to show you how Israel got to where they were. Or you won't understand it because it took a long time. As you look back and not, not look back, just let me take us back verbally. As we look back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, you know the story of a godly woman named Hannah. And she's praying, and she's saying, Lord, I'm barren. And she's grieved in her soul. And this went on for a long time. Until one day, she was at one of the festivals, and she couldn't eat, and she goes to pray, and she pours out her heart to God. And you know the story. The Lord allowed her to conceive. And the Lord gave her a son. Her son, the more I study his life, you know his name is Samuel. The more I study his life, The more I dig in and look at his life, he's one of the greatest men in the entirety of the world. He's a prophet. He's a priest. And he becomes, to me, the greatest judge of Israel. He's a man of transition. He's a man that helped Israel transition through a very dark, difficult season there. And we see that Samuel in chapter 1 comes into, comes into play here. Chapter 2, we find out 
As we enter chapter 2, and you'll remember in your, in your memory and your reading that we enter into a very sad spiritual time in Israel. What chapter 2 shows us uh, basically is this, the sad condition of worship among the people of God and the corrupt priesthood. And so what happens is we're given this picture of Eli who's lost spiritual ground, it seems. We've given this picture of Eli's sons who were wicked. They were immoral. They were greedy. In fact, worship, uh, they had been so turned off by the way these young men had done. The people didn't even want to come worship anymore. They didn't want to come and bring their offerings to God. They'd been so grieved because worship was at a low, such a low place. And so the Lord sends a prophet to Eli, the priest, the leader, the spiritual leader of the nation. The Lord sends a prophet to him and in a nutshell says, you need to clean the worship up and you need to clean God's house up or I'm going to judge you. So Eli goes to his sons, and here's what he says. In chapter 2, it reads, verse 23, Why do you do such things? He's speaking to his sons. I hear the evil dealings from all the people. Know, my sons, for it is not good, a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If a man transgresses against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed their father's voice. Because the Lord desired to kill them. In other words, these young men who were priests had crossed the line, have crossed the spiritual line, really only known to God. And there are people that cross a line, only known to God. You can't predict it. I can't predict it. I mean, a, a person that you think will never get saved will get saved. God's grace is very abundant. But there are people that do cross a line and God says, enough is enough. And he takes them out. And God said, these young men, or probably not so young, had crossed the spiritual line. And the Lord said, I will take your life. So that brings us to the third chapter. In the third chapter, the Lord begins to speak to Samuel. He's just a boy. How many know the Lord loves boys and girls? Their hearts are so tender. Out here today, they're getting ministry today. They're learning about Jesus today. It's important that we get the word of God in these kids. And the Lord begins to speak to Samuel. And Samuel really doesn't know the voice of the Lord yet. And in the nighttime, he hears this voice, Samuel, Samuel. He thinks it's Eli. He goes and said, basically, yes, sir. What do you need? He said, I didn't call for you. He goes, said, just go back and lay down. He goes back and lays down, and he hears this voice again, Samuel, Samuel. He said, oh, Eli's calling me now. He goes to Eli, and Eli said, no, I, I didn't call you. And finally, this happened several times, and Eli realizes this is the Lord speaking to the young man. This is the Lord speaking to Samuel. He said, son, next time, if, if you hear that voice, Samuel, Samuel, he said, just say, speak your servant is hearing, is listening. And then once again, the Lord speaks to Samuel. And Samuel says, yes, I'm here, Lord. Speak to my heart. And as a young boy, the Lord begins to pour into Samuel. And what the Lord shows Samuel on that night is this. I'm about to judge Eli's house. Can you imagine a young boy getting a word like that? 
And, we, and here's what we see. We see at a very young age, Samuel is functioning as a fearless prophet. The next morning, Eli says, Samuel, don't hide from me what the Lord told you. And so it says that Samuel told him everything that the Lord spoke to him. Can you imagine a little boy telling a seasoned priest, the Lord is about to judge your life, your ministry, your family, and he is going to cut off your family. That, was, that would be a hard word to say. We read, we read these words. This is what the Lord said to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, this is chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I will do something. In Israel, in which both the ears of all who hear it will tingle, in that day will I perform against Eli what I've spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity he knows. For the iniquity he knows because of this, he, his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. You say, well, he talked to them. It doesn't seem like he made it strong enough. And God said the next morning, of course, he says that. So see, we see Samuel functioning as a prophet of the Lord. And then we come to chapter four. And we have Israel. Now, this is where we pick it up. We have Israel engaging the Philistines. There's a battle between Israel and the Philistines. And you say, what happens, Pastor? What happens in the battle between Israel and the Philistines? They are soundly, soundly defeated. Not only once, but try twice. They go out to fight the battle. And they are, I think some 30,000 Israelite soldiers are killed. So they come back together. And they say, you know, we're the Lord's people. Why, why, did, we, why did we lose this battle? Maybe, maybe the music's not loud enough. Maybe, maybe we need to get new uniforms. And then somebody said, well, I know why we got new we, we don't have the ark with us. If we have the ark of the covenant with us, surely we can win the victory. And everyone gets excited, and they bring the ark out, and they, they, and they shout such a shout that the ground shakes, and the Philistines hear it in their camp, and they what's happening over there? Oh, they've got this ark that led them out of Egypt. But Israel doesn't know something that they're going to learn very quickly. It's not about all the accoutrements of worship. It's not about the lights or the screen. It's not about all the outward things. Because the problem with Israel is that they are living in disobedience to the Lord. And you could have a hundred arks. The arks are a symbol of God's presence. But you must have the reality of the presence to have power and victory over your enemy. So they go out to the battle. And they are soundly defeated in the battle. And not only are they defeated, the ark of God is taken. And Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed as God prophesied they would. And then finally, someone comes back. Now notice this. It says in chapter 4, this, now here's a man that came back from the battle. The battle's over. The ark is taken. The son, his sons have been killed in the battle. Israel is on the retreat. And now they bring word back to the priest, Eli, the spiritual leader of the nation. And here's what he says. And then the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. And I have fled today from the battle line. And he said, what has happened, my son? So the messenger answered Israel, or answered him and said, Israel has fled from the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is captured. And then it happened. 
when he made mention of the ark of God, when he heard of the ark of God, the sacred ark of God, which was a symbol of the very presence of God among his people, it said, and Eli fell backwards off his seat in the, on the side of the gate. He hit his neck and he broke it and he died for he was, was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for all those years. I mean, it's looking very bad in Israel right now. In chapter 5 and 6, what we have is we have a period of about seven months. And for about seven months, these Philistines took this ark. Let me just tell you, be very careful with the things of God. Be very careful not to blaspheme God. They take the ark of God. See, in the world, and that's what the, the Philistines represents, the lost, the world. In the world's mindset, they just think God's like any other God. No, he's not. He's like no other God. He is the living God. He is the king of kings. He's the creator of the world. And we shall not trifle with him without great consequence. They take the ark. And first of all, they place it in their place Day gods, day god, they're God's temple. And then they come the next day and his, he's fallen down. They come again, his hands are cut off. They come again, his head is falling off. And they're thinking, this, something's wrong here. Our God's getting beat up during the night. Well, listen, you can't put a God against our God. We serve the God that the heaven of heavens can't contain him. And finally, during this seven months, long story short, what happens is, that God begins to judge them with sickness and disease and destruction and confusion. And I'm telling you, things are bad in, the, in Philistine territory. They, listen, let me read this to you here. It said, and when they sent the ark to Ekron, the ark of God came to Ekron. Now, what, what had happened is when whoever, whoever had the ark, judgment and sickness and disease and barrenness would fall on them. And they'd say, we don't want this ark. They would send it to another Philistine city. Judgment would fall. They would send it to another Philistine city. Judgment would fall. They were saying, we, we don't want this ark. Finally, these last folks got smart. And it says, it says, the Ekrons cried out saying, they have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. And they sent and they gathered the lords of the Philistines and they said, send the ark of God of Israel, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it, and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. We don't want this ark. We captured it. We're giving it back. Come on. We don't want any part of this. For there was, notice, for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was heavy there. And the men, and, and the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. I'm telling you, you don't want to mess with God. So what did the Philistines decide to do? We're going to send it back to Israel. However, what happened is when they sent it back, to the Israelites, some of them mishandle it, and they were judged and died. And that's in 1 Samuel 6, 13 through 19. I'll skip that part. We come now to chapter 7. After this judgment upon the Israelites, it's, I'll read verse 19 of chapter 6. says, And he struck them in a Beth Shemesh, Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark, and he struck 50,000 of them and 70 men of the people. Now, some say that's a scribal, area, a scribal error. Just let you study that out. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. 
So now there's, what do we do with this ark? And so here's what they did with it. Finally, now Israel has the ark back. They sent it back, and I won't go through how they did that. That's not the message today. But now the ark is back into Israelite, ter- Israelite possession. So they decided to take the ark and send it to a place for the house of Abinadab. And his son was of the priestly tribe. His name was Eliezer. Now listen to me. He took care of it and he guarded it for 20 years. So for 20 years, they listen, they lost the ark of God. They lost the presence of God. They lost God in the center of their lives, in the center of their worship. And they were satisfied to live outside the presence of God for 20 years. I don't know about you. I don't want to be out of his presence a moment. For 20 years, this ark stayed at the house of Abinadab. The son of Eliezer, the priest, took care of it for 20 long years. And listen to me, for 20 years, listen, 20 years, Israel is in apostasy. 20 years away from God. 20 years ignoring his commands. 20 years taking, taking and worshiping Baal and worshiping Asherah gods and all that goes along with that grossness. And all during that time, Samuel was preaching. He was saying, repent. You need to repent. You need to get right with God. You need to repent. But they were living without God. They were called by the name of the Lord, but they weren't living for the Lord. And now 20 years, after 20 long years, now this last part I'm going to give you, I'm going to give it to you quick. This, for 20 years, these people had lived outside the presence of God. They fell out of church, in a sense. Worship wasn't in the center of their lives for 20 years. And then it says that they begin to lament after the Lord. They begin to lament after the Lord. God is beginning to get their attention. God is beginning to soften their hearts. And Samuel senses it. Samuel's been praying for years one of the greatest men the world's ever known. Can you imagine having a minister in 20 years of apostasy? 20 years where most people are not worshiping. You can't get people to come to church. They don't love the Torah. They don't love the law of God. I was, uh, yesterday, we met, a, my wife and I, my wife and I met a, a Jewish man. And uh, I think the Jewish people, they're just so unique. Every single one of them. There's something about them. They're great storytellers. And we were sitting there, and this guy was entertaining us. He's, I mean, and, and he was saying, well, I'm an unbeliever. So I guess he doesn't even believe in his God. You know? In, in you know, whatever, you know, in Judaism. But I said, I told him, I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I said, we're, we're followers of Jesus. And I said, you need to read the book of Matthew. Because Matthew proves to the Jewish people, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He was such a sweet man. There was no rancor. There was no, you know, sometimes I've tried to minister to Jewish people, and it's very hard, really hard. I ministered to a lady in Lancaster Hospital in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Jewish lady on her deathbed. It was like like putting your head against a wall. There was just such resistance. This man was so sweet. His name's Larry. Larry the Jewish guy. Come on, amen. And he, uh, he told, he said, let me tell you, he said, he said, let me tell you a Jewish joke. I thought, okay. He told me, a jo- I won't tell you the joke now, but it was great. It was good. It was good. It was really good. But listen to me, 20 years, they lived in apostasy. They turned their back on God, back on his law, back on the worship and the worshiping bells. 
And then God begins to stir their heart. And now here we are, and here's what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, 7, 1 Samuel. It says, Then the men of Kiriath Jerem came and they took the ark and they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They consecrated Eliezer, the son, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark of the Lord remained at Kirith Jerem a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They began to realize how empty life is without Jesus. And Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, said, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away your foreign gods, the Asherahs from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs, and serve the Lord only. Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you there. Uh, pray uh, to, to the Lord for you. So they gathered together to Mizpah and they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. Hey, Samuel wants to know, is this just a, a one-time Christmas service, Easter service, and don't show up? Are you really getting right with God? Do you really want to serve the Lord? If you do, meet me at Mizpah. And then it said they gathered and they drew water, they poured it out, they fasted and said, we have sinned against the Lord. You, you, you very rarely hear those words anymore. You very rarely hear people. Just so much pride and arrogance. But here they said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel. Now listen, when you make a move to God, when you make a commitment, I'm telling you, the enemy always challenges our commitments. Always. Notice what happens in verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Here the people of God are having revival. Here they're getting right with God. They're getting their lives cleansed. And you would think, oh, if I start serving Jesus, oh, I'm going to have everything I need. I'm not going to have any trouble. Nope, trouble's on the way, brother and sister. Try to build a church. Trouble's on the way, brother and sister. Try to make a move toward God. Try to do something big for God. You know, it's going to go smooth. I'm telling you, the devil will challenge this church. He'll challenge your life, your family, if you try to get right with God and serve God. And here come the Philistines. Now, here's what you need to understand. When facing an enemy, no matter what that enemy is, If we will get our hearts right with God, every enemy can be defeated. Do you want to read what happened when they got... See, 20 years, they're living under the dominion and domination of the Philistines. They are are living in sin. They are living Asherah and Baal and all the grossness that goes along with that. And then all of a sudden... They are, they are being defeated by the enemy. And then all of a sudden, we have a picture. They get right with God. And when they get right with God, the enemy's routed. You, wanna, you want your enemies to be routed? Get right with God today and watch what God does. You say, let me show you. Look at, look at verse 8. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, now here they are. Philistines are coming. They're afraid. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, for us, our God, for us. That he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and he offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord, the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered. Look how he answered. Now, now as Samuel was offering the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near in battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered. Do you see that? See, now they're right with God. God's working on their behalf now. It's not about them trying to do it in their own power, ability, possessions, or wisdom. But now the Lord thundered with a loud thunder. 
upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as Bethkar. Then, notice, then Samuel set up a stone, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called it Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. What, is, what does this stone mean? I'm going to give it to you just, just the way the Lord put it on my heart. What does this Ebenezer stone mean? Here's what it means. One of the things it means, this Ebenezer stone that Samuel set up is about remembering. It's about praise and worship. It's about Sunday mornings. It's about gratitude and thanksgiving for how the Lord has worked victories in each of our lives. Samuel took the stone and he says, thus far, the Lord has helped us. So that means this. That means every time, every mom and dad, every boy and girl, every, every Jewish person, every time they, they saw that stone, they were, they, it made them remember what the Lord had done. Uh, we, we remember how the Lord has been our help. See, we need to remember that the Lord has saved us. He has written our names down, down in the land. We, listen, we deserve hell. We deserve hell itself. We deserve the wrath there forever and ever and ever because we have sinned against our God. But thank God for the suckling lamb. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the mercies of God. The reason we're going to heaven is God's grace and God's kindness. And that Ebenezer stone is the Lord has saved me. And I want to remember it. We need to remember how God's worked in our lives. We need to remember the goodness of God's. We need to be reminded. This stone is about remembering, but it's also, secondly, about removing. And I'm going to give you these quick. The stone is about removing. Purging idols out of our lives. If you're really coming to God, Israel Samuel says, if you're, if you're not playing games with God and you really want to serve God, you've got to get rid of sin. You've got to get rid of the idols. Get rid of Baal. Get rid of Asherah. See, idolatry was a major problem in Israel. And listen to me. Are you listening? Come on. I think it's the number one problem in the modern American church today. You say, we don't have Asher and Baals. No, we have 10,000 other idols that hinder our walk with God. What does an idol do to us? An idol is basically anything you put before God. It could be a thousand things. Anything you place before God. Here's what idols do to us. Idols lead us away from the Lord. How many of God's children have been led away from God because an idol crowded Sunday out? An idol crowded prayer out? An idol crowded the word of God out? Many of God's people don't worship anymore because the idols, there's just too many idols. Idols lead us away from the Lord. And you hear, Pastor, today, if, if something leads us away from God, no matter how innocent it seems on the surface, if it leads us away from the Lord, it is evil at its core. Idols lead us away from the Lord. Idols lead us into sin. Baal was purported to be the God who controlled the weather, the crops, the finances, the prosperity. Asherah was the fertility God and the war God. And both of these gods, their worship allowed for gross immorality. Listen to me. Any doctrine of that, that is purported, that distorts the grace of God and allows gross immorality and idolatry in the people is idolatry. You watch this. Watch the lifestyle of God's people when idols come in. 
their lifestyle changes when an idol comes in. The psalmist said this, those who make, their, make idols become like them. Whatever we worship, we will become like. Idols lead us into sin. Idols deceive us quickly. They, they promise fulfillment, but they leave us empty. Idols offer temporary but fleeting satisfaction. However, in the, in the end, idols leave us empty. It le- they leave us defeated, and they leave us broken. Samuel said this in 1 Samuel 7 and 2, the people lamented after the Lord. What, is your idol, what did the idols do for the people of God? Left them in bondage. Left them separated from God. Left them without peace and without joy and without victory and without prosperity. What have your idols done for you and I? They've done nothing but bring harm and they ruin our lives and they kill our souls. They lead us into sin. They deceive us. And then they bring God's judgment on us. I believe that there are some of God's people today experiencing difficulty because they won't deal with an idol. God has spoken to them. God has dealt with them. God has convicted them. God has brought his word to them. But yet they've hardened their heart to God's voice. And now God is speaking louder because of idols. Israel was under Philistine bondage. You know what idols do? Idols dishonor the Lord. Have no other gods before you. Have no graven images before you. Why? If you read this and here's your homework, Isaiah 40 verses 18 through 31. Don't have time to read all that, but it basically says, who can compare to me? How would you ever compare idols to me? The whole world's like this. I could just go, God says, and they would all blow away like the dust. Heaven of heavens can't contain me. At the end of that, it says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strengths. Your idols can never do that for you. What is this Ebenezer Stone about? I'm almost done. I can see the runway lights. I'm almost about to land. This Ebenezer Stone is about relying on God. Samuel, don't stop praying for us. Don't stop praying for us. When we, when we set up this Ebenezer Stone, we say as at Trinity Life Church, we say, we're not looking at our bank account before we do something. When God tells us to do it, we're doing it because he owns everything. God said, build a building. Okay, when do it now? Step out. What's to, no, he didn't give us three steps. Step out, and I'll give you the next step. It's about relying on God. It's about, it's about us learning to trust God as a congregation. That Ebenezer Stone says, God is my help, and when I call upon him, he will pour out his blessing and his goodness upon us. He will hear us because our Ebenezer Stone is the living Jesus Christ. And then this Ebenezer Stone is about resources. And you say, what's our resources? You know, the world laughs at us, right? They laugh at us. When we say things like, our resources are the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine going in battle and taking a little bitty suckling lamb? Had to be at least eight days old. Little eight-day-old, ten-day-old lamb. And you go into battle and you say, Samuel, what's the, what's the battle plan? How are we going to move forward? And, and Samuel says, God told me to offer this little lamb. Well, is there another plan? And you say, Pastor, what's the plan? What? Prayer is the plan. What is the plan? Repenting from idols, getting our hearts right with God, witnessing to the law, sending missionaries out, relying on God. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're spiritual, and they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's about resources. And then this stone's about restoration. I didn't read this verse, but look at this. 
After God gave the victory, guess what happens? Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. Look at this, verse 14. The cities and the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. They were covered. This stone, this help, he can give you back what you've lost. What have you lost? He can give it back tenfold. And then lastly, this Ebenezer stone is about reigning. Look at verse 13. The Philistines were subdued. The Philistines were subdued. For over 20 years, these people lived under the jack-booted heel of the Philistines. They were enslaved to the Philistines. But listen, when they got their hearts right with God, they got rid of their idols and their sin. God made them the head and not the tail. Idols enslave us. And we become enslaved to sin, to habits, and all kinds of stuff. But if we will repent and bring them to God, your enemies are going to be subdued. The passions of your heart that you can't control with your own humanness, you're going to begin to walk in the spirit, and the flesh will not have dominion over you. Hallelujah. I close with this. If we could have a musicians. I want to pray just a moment. The Lord's our Ebenezer today. He is our stone of help. But listen, let's be clear. The Lord wants to help us, but only under certain conditions. He won't violate his holy nature, nor his solemn word. He said, if you're returning to the Lord, you've got to get rid of Baal. You've got to get rid of Asherahs. This is not about feeling good and in one, you know, kind of getting an emotional feel. This is about repenting from the heart. It's about cleaning up our lives. You got to get rid of the idols. You can't hold them to one. They have to be crushed. They have to be destroyed or they will destroy you. There was a story of a girl. It happened in England minister preached the gospel preached salvation the girl came down she said I'm trying to get saved I'm trying to get saved and she said he said I, I've been to two other two other meetings with two other different ministers and I've been trying to get saved but I can't get saved and the minister the Lord the Lord spoke to him and gave him a word of knowledge as he talked to her he said these words who are you living with She said, well, I'm living with and called his name. She said, are you living as husband and wife? But you're not husband and wife? She said, yes. But he says that just, that's, just a, that's just a piece of paper. And the minister looked at her and said, you have a di-, he said, you have a difficult decision to make. You can live with that man or you can live with Jesus, but you can't live with both. You have a hard decision to make. Why? Because God will not share us with idols. And I fear that too many of God's children 
living their lives, but yet they are so cluttered with idols and it's deceiving them and it's destroying them and it's deluding their lives. If you're coming back to the Lord, if you're getting right with God, if God's going to be our heaven, these are stone, you've got to get rid of the idols and then you've got to yield your heart to God. You've got to serve God with all your heart. You've got to serve God. You've got to give active serving God. Is there an idol? Is there something in our lives? I want you to stand. Jesus. Could I have our singers, musicians, please? Lord, we want you to be our Ebenezer Stone. We want you to be our help. But Lord, we realize there's some things that we must do. There's some things that we must rid our lives of. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work across this room right now. I pray that you would deal, maybe one, maybe two, maybe many. What I want to do is this. As they begin to sing, anyone who is serious about the Lord, and it doesn't matter if you're not serious, please don't come. I'm like Samuel in this. If you're really serving God, this we come to yield our heart, to yield all that we are, to get clean in our lives. And guess what's going to happen? If we'll do this, it, this church will explode with power. This church will explode with victories. But if anyone, if this message has spoken to you in any way today, as we worship for a moment, if you just want to come and pray and take a moment at the end of this service to wait upon the Lord and to speak to the Lord, this is between you and the Lord. This is, you know, I don't need to pray over you or lay hands on you. This is something that needs to happen between you and the Lord in your heart. And so we're going to begin to sing. If anyone would just want to come pray and speak to the Lord, these altars are open right now. These altars are open for anyone to pray.